loving God, modeling Christ, and serving others. This is the Hope for Macomb podcast. Thank you very much, Melanie, for helping out while the Bergmans are welcoming this new beautiful baby boy in their lives and all the others that are joining with them. That was beautiful singing today. I think uh, I'm going to check with my brother Tom Newman right here. Isn't it true your mom and dad have a 65th wedding anniversary this coming Tuesday? Right on the money. Would you also wave to us, Brother Manford and Ilza Newman? God bless you. 65 years this coming Tuesday. What a resource for Christian counseling for marriages. Amen? Right here, all four people, healthy and strong, worshiping with us. We praise the Lord for both of you as couples. And it's dangerous to start going too far into congratulations because maybe not all of you would appreciate it. And I might miss somebody. But I did see on Facebook Julia Hairline graduated from Central Michigan University, ready to be a band teacher. You can clap for her. Julia as well. And uh, Kurt, you got to help me out. Is it true that Jenna's graduated as well? And holler it out really loud in the Cleveland, Ohio area, the name of the school, one more time. Congratulations, Jenna. God bless you. I see Grandma and Grandpa here too. Your brothers are here. We're proud of you all. I may have missed other college graduates. Any others here today? Don't be bashful. Holler it out. Amanda Paul now, Vet Tech, is that right? Clap for Amanda Paul now, right here in Macomb County, and be taking care of our animals. Thank you. Katie, anybody else? All right, we're going to have a great graduation recognition weekend coming up with our high school grads. We love any of the college students that are here too, some with bachelor's, some with master's degrees or beyond as well, to let us recognize you. That will be the second Sunday of June. Uh, Jenna and uh, Julia, just be thankful. Amanda too, the pastor I grew up with, not my dad, but actually later when I was a teacher, he would take the microphone, run out into the audience when he saw college kids home. He'd start asking them questions in front of the whole church, like, who are you dating, right? And what's going on in your life? All kinds of fun things like that in front of everybody. What are you going to do next? You remember Steve Brown doing that at uh, Blessed Hope Church. So you got off easy today compared to my mentor. We are so proud of all of you and thank God for you. Uh, You are a blessing to our families. We can't wait to see what God, he's already been doing in your life, but what he's going to do in the days to come. We can't wait to see. We are praying for you, encouraging you as you look at next steps with work and other things coming. Uh, Praise God for each and every one of you and those two special couples celebrating uh, 65 years. That's incredible. We're going for a record in the church. Help me out, longtime members. The Zwires were married just short of 69. Is that correct? Thank you. Just short of 69 years. What an amazing blessing. A few more years, and we're going to have a 70th. That's what we're praying for. We're in the middle of a series on giving here at Hope Church. Last Sunday, we kicked it off out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And uh, last Sunday, we looked at how we are to give sacrificially at times as God touches our hearts. Spontaneously, when we see a need arise, we have the ability to meet it. God puts it on our heart. And obviously, spiritually, that was our launching point last week. Today, we're going to look a little more in detail at what motivates us to give and then who are the ones that God entrusts the administration of our gifts to. For as those gifts come in through the church, through the tithes and the offerings, the special projects and gifts, they're to be handled very well too. There's a lot of information in the Bible about this. We're going to talk about administrators today. Financial handlers are those that are caring for the gifts you bring, and it's really important 
that we do our part. We trust the Lord and the leaders to do their part in the administration of those funds. So it's a really important topic, giving. Jesus says more about giving than faith, prayer, fasting, all of those other topics. It might not seem glamorous, but we wouldn't be here. The lights wouldn't be on. The parking lot wouldn't be paved. Missionaries wouldn't be sent without your faithful gifts. Next week, we'll take a time out from our series on giving as we honor moms. So mothers, we will have a special message for you. It will not be about giving. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll come back to this. Just as we're getting into the message this morning, though, I'd ask you to stand with me. We'll say our Bible memory verse for this little series, this three-part series on giving. It's got a very, very important first theme. It's that you give yourself to Christ first. You give yourself totally to the Lord first. And then everything, our tithes, our talents, our treasures, everything he's given to us follows as we give our lives to him first. Let's say the reference first, which is 2 Corinthians 8, 5. We'll do that together. And the first time we say this verse through, we'll do it reflectively. Think on the powerful principles here, two powerful principles from Scripture in this little verse. And the second time we say it, we'll say it really loud. Let's rattle the rafters a little. Let people know there's something going on right here at Hope Church. Join me now in unison with our verse of the week, reference first. Second Corinthians 8, 5. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then by the will of God, also to us. Triple the volume, reference first. Ready? Second Corinthians 8, 5. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. You may be seated. I'm really glad you're here today. We're going to jump into the scripture reading next, so just be prayerful as I go through these verses. They'll start at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16, and go through chapter 9, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Again, this is now Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Last week, I jumped into quite a bit of Jesus' teaching. Along with Paul's teaching, we consider Jesus' life this is God's word to us. It's about giving. I get it that we're nervous, but let's submit our hearts to the Lord in all things to seek to be used for him for his glory. This is what Paul writes, an amazing count of the Christians in Macedonia who were touched to help the Christians in Jerusalem who were poor and struggling under persecution. Although the Macedonians did not have much money either, they gave so generously. And the details of this gift collection are what we're going to understand today. The people that were chosen to take the gift and have it safely delivered, this is an amazing text. Verse 16, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism 
of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we're sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he's zealous and not even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and a co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. And then in chapter 9, I'll give you just the first few verses. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised, that it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. I don't know if in this first hearing or if you've studied this text before, you know all the nuances of what's going on here. The people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem are experiencing intense persecution. The Christians scattered, the apostles scattered all over the world and took the gospel, but many Christians were still in Jerusalem suffering. To name the name of Christ meant hardship, harassment, imprisonment, sometimes death. Uh, many widows, because men had been dragged off into prison or killed, were struggling financially. Amazingly, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth about this need in Jerusalem, he's citing an example of the Macedonians. Think of the Greek people. Uh, they gave out of great love, as we talked about last week. They sacrificed. They gave beyond what they even expected. The Corinthian Christians had promised a gift for the church at Jerusalem. Did you get this through Paul's subtle encouragement, prodding of them? So that when Titus and the brothers come, make sure you're prepared to give what you promised to give. You promised to help the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Their gift seemed to be coming a little slowly. I'm reading between the lines. And he commends the Macedonians who gave so excessively. Let me tell you, it's an honor. Paul's boasting about what they already promised to do. He didn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want them to be embarrassed if they showed up and there was no gift for the struggling churches in Jerusalem. Let's be careful what we promise for. Is that a thing right up front we can, the pledge you make to God, the promise you make? We understand in the church when we take pledges, people can lose jobs, have situations happen in their lives. Nobody's knocking on your door. But to God, be careful what you promise to, what you commit to. In your utmost, do your best to keep your promises. Uh, I brag about Hope Church all the time. It was a real privilege last weekend to have the Great Lakes churches here. And the Great Lakes budget was just a little behind as we came to the end of the fiscal year. So I'm, I get to be the moderator. It's an extra job, no pay. A lot of you know about that. I uh, wrote a letter to all the churches. Can I tell you what an honor it was to be able to say, I know Hope Church. 
We'll step forward as we have resources. God has blessed us in our mission. We'll give an extra gift too. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider giving a gift. They didn't tell the amounts, but Hope Church was one of the four or five churches that gave an extra gift to help the Great Lakes come really close now to finishing on target what the budget was for the year. We have some church planning work we do. We have a regional minister we support, and we need to meet those obligations. I can't tell you what a privilege it is as your church to boast about you in the Lord, to give God glory for the way you give. You didn't disappoint again. The missions committee gave a gift out of the gifts you'd given, out of the excess funds, and we were able to be a blessing. It is a real joy to be able to boast about. If you're going to boast, boast about the Lord and what he's doing through his church for his glory. Two quick thoughts here today. What motivates our giving and who administers our gifts? They're both important. It's just unpacking a few key thoughts in the text I just shared with you in the scripture reading. First thought, what motivates our giving? Right in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, we find this description Paul is giving that really outlines these two subpoints. We're taking pains to do what is right. You think about your giving, and then you think about the administrating of the gifts. In both points, this fits. In the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of men. We want to do what's right in our giving. We want to do what's right in the handling of the gifts you give in God's sight and in man's sight too. First sub-point is it's all about God's glory. He sees it all. We're to be doing everything we do for the glory of God. It's the whole purpose of man, to bring God glory in what we do. And right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse 19, 2 Corinthians 8, 19, we find the NIV giving the word honor. The King James Version uses the word glory. The same point is here. What is more? He's chosen, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and then to show your eagerness to help our eagerness to help, all our giving, the gifts we collect, the tithes and offerings, the special need for compassion ministries that we give to those that are hurting in our community or even all over the world. All the gifts we give are ultimately for the honor of God, the glory of God. When I was a high school student, one of my years, my sophomore year, I attended a a Christian high school. And I know my wife and kids, they can't believe I was a freshman first when I went away to a dorm. Freshman in high school, not in college, 100 miles from home. I was a dorm resident. My older brother was there. It wasn't so bad. We had a lot of fun. But in my sophomore year, I transferred to a school that was a Bob Jones-affiliated school. A lot of you know what that means. Very conservative school. I made it one year. They didn't kick me out, and I ended up back in public school after that. It was just a little too strict uh, for me. But as our sports teams would huddle, I don't know, you all say beat them, win, whatever team, you have chance. We had all to the glory of God, amen. It's kind of a funny cheer, isn't it? Uh, the soccer team, there'd be, I don't know, 15, 20 of us uh, gathered around, huddled up, and we'd say all to the glory of God, amen. I was only, what, 14 or 15 as a sophomore in high school, and we were actually quoting a pretty famous Bible verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. But as I would run back out on the field, if it was soccer, or back onto the court in basketball, it was an interesting phrase to have going through your mind, even as a kid. You know, even the way I'm competing in this athletic event, I'm to compete with excellence, 
give it all I have, play by the rules, be honest, don't be cheap in your shots of other people, all to the glory of God, amen. As we're talking about giving for these weeks together, I'm trying to weave in time, talent, treasure. We give our lives to Christ. The talents he's given, we offer them back to him for his glory. How do you know if a gift is really advancing the cause of Christ? God is the one who is glorified. You're not seeking glory when you give. That's why you often do it in secret so that people don't even know when you often give even through our deacon fund to help someone in need as you'll do later today. We do it secretly, anonymously. We want to help other people further the work of the gospel, but we want God to be glorified. The whole purpose of our living the whole purpose of our giving is to glorify God. Uh, some of you know this catechism quote that says, man's chief end is to, anybody learn a catechism as a little child? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. One of my favorite authors, he's now a retired pastor from the Minneapolis area, John Piper. Anybody listen to him preach or read some of his books? He changed one word in this catechism, and I think it's brilliant. Uh, he changed and to buy. The chief end, end of man, what's our purpose? It's to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. There's joy in the Christian life. We think, okay, I glorify God here, and now I enjoy some things here. No, actually, by enjoying God as he created us to and designed us to, that brings him glory. And we see it throughout the Bible in many themes. So the subset in your outline lists five of them. I'll just mention them briefly. How many of you enjoy singing? Does anybody enjoy singing? Anybody? Am I the only one here? You sing in the shower? How many sing in the car? I didn't say you could sing. I didn't say it brings joy to anybody else. Do you enjoy singing? Do you know we were designed to sing, to make music? We'll be doing it in heaven. We should enjoy singing. And when we truly enjoy singing good songs and godly songs, do you know that glorifies God? Our singing, the Psalter is the ancient hymn book of God's ancient people, the Psalms. Psalm 50, 23 says, those who sacrifice, thank offerings, honor me. They brought their offerings with song, with a joyful heart, a heart overflowing with thanksgiving, and that gives glory to God. It honors God. I hope you enjoy singing. I don't know, would you agree with me, your sin doesn't bring you much joy. It certainly doesn't bring joy to the people it affects, and it affects you too. How about when you honestly, humbly, prayerfully can say the number two thought is your, the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, becoming more loving, becoming more joyful, becoming more peaceful. When you actually see growth and you want to give God all the glory for it, because it's impossible without his Holy Spirit in your life as you obey and you walk with him. You used to struggle with anger, you're becoming more peaceful used to struggle with a lot of hatred, you're becoming more loving. Does that bring joy to your heart? That glorifies God. Do you enjoy growing? The fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life. And the other part of fruit is when someone in your family comes to Christ. Parents, when one of your children trusts Christ, you might be living in a neighborhood. One of your neighbors comes to believe in the Lord through your witness. Does that bring you joy? 
When there's fruit in your life, you're reproducing spiritually, your family, your neighbors, those you work with. That glorifies God. Our service, Paul writes about. Do you enjoy serving the Lord? Uh, we have compassion ministry opportunities all the time. Baby bottles, pick them up, bring them back with change. Does that thrill you when you, your children, your home, maybe your grandchildren, are giving to help these homeless moms right here in our neighborhoods? Homeless moms have a place to stay. Training, education, give up the child through adoption or perhaps learn the skills to parent this child, get an apartment, get a job. Does it thrill your heart to serve the Lord, to meet needs in the community? There are a few college graduates here today and here's my nickel advice to people graduating or starting out in a new venture. I have a lot of people come through my office for counseling. It relates to service and the joy of service and our service glorifies God. What are you passionate about? Well, think about it. God has designed you. He's built you. He's given you gifts and abilities. What are you passionate about? What are the needs in this world? Can you take your natural gifts and abilities, the things God has blessed you with and given you, and can you plug them in and meet a need? If you take your passions, your abilities, and your gifts, and you meet a need, you help somebody out, that's fulfillment. There's fulfillment, there's reward. There's joy in serving God, amen to that? There's joy in it, and it glorifies God, our service. This one kind of hits me hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. It actually talks about our bodies. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. We think about our mind, we can think about intellect, I can think, I can plan, I can do things. You think about your hands, think about your whole body. Christ did not die. He was not buried and he did not rise again that we would just give our bodies over to sin for the rest of our lives. We're to turn from sin, be forgiven, and commit our very bodies to be lived for his glory. When you're struggling with sin, think about that. My body and my soul, my spirit, my mind have been redeemed are being redeemed as we heard in the little video clip and will be finally and fully redeemed for God's purposes. I don't know about you. When you do something, you work a hard day's work with your body, helping a neighbor who may be getting older cut the grass. Don't you feel joy in that, in serving, even using your bodies to glorify God? Yes, our very good deeds, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16, all of these things, our songs, our fruitful life, our service, our very bodies, the deeds we do, it's all to be done for the glory of God. And you can enjoy working for God. You can enjoy serving God. You can enjoy singing to God. You can enjoy giving your gifts. It should be a joy to give your gifts to further the work of the gospel. Because our chief end, the chief end of man, that's mankind in general, men and women, boys and girls, is to glorify God. I would agree with my brother John Piper by enjoying him forever. Forever. Because what we're doing now is just the beginning of what we'll do for all of eternity. I don't know what motivates you. Remember, God is watching. A second little thought in that letter B is man is watching too. It's most important we do it for God's glory, but don't forget others are watching. You have a testimony. As a Christian, where you work, 
in the neighborhood you live in, you have a testimony. People are watching you. I shared a few weeks ago my son who plays tennis with me at the tennis club occasionally and the gal who checks us out there and takes our money and gets us on the right court. She just said something about my son. It kind of blew me away. You know, she said, I just see such a peace in him and in you. I don't see that in a lot of young people. He seems so peaceful. And she said, you know, my nieces, they go to church too, and they have that same kind of peace in their life. Well, I know him at home. He's far from perfect. I wasn't going to say that. And I'm far from perfect, as my family can say. But people are watching. I don't know. I didn't think that the gal who checks us in at the tennis club is watching. They are. They are. People are watching. Her dad died without faith without faith and she didn't want that for herself for her kids for her grandkids and she's struggling in faith i just ask you to pray today that we'd be aware people are watching we find this in the old testament here's one phrase in the new testament too romans chapter 12 verse 17 tells us this romans chapter 12 verse 17 do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And one other New Testament text in the same line of thought, 1 Timothy 3, 7. He must also have a good reputation. Now, the qualities of a pastor, the qualities of our elders, our deacons, our leaders are almost identical in the two texts here in Timothy and in Titus. Both are in chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus. This is one of those qualities of a pastor an elder, and it's the same quality for a deacon too, men and women who serve and care for needs. He must have a good reputation inside the church, outsiders, the people he does business with, she does business with, where they shop, are they paying their bills on time, how do they treat their neighbors? We must have a good reputation with outsiders. People are watching. What motivates our giving? I hope you know God's Glory is the biggest thing. He's watching. People are watching too. So now let's get into the handling part for just a couple of minutes. Who administers our gifts? And just as excited, I mean it genuinely, as thrilled as I am to be the pastor here at Hope Church for many, many years now and to see the amazing way you've given small gifts, middle-sized gifts, big gifts. I mean, nearly 30 years I've had a front row seat and seeing it, and it's miraculous almost every year the way the gifts come in for missions, the way the gifts come in for the general fund and now for the capital fund too. It's amazing. Watching your gifts come in, it thrills my heart because it's a sign of love, a commitment to Christ to change this community and to change the world. I'm just as excited about this part. The men and women I've served with on our boards for nearly 30 years now are exceptional people. I mentioned being a volunteer with Great Lakes Association as a moderator. They're all volunteers. After the staff, we have a couple full-time staff and several part-time staff. After that, all the boards, all the offices are all volunteers. And the qualities I'm going to share with you now, I could name you all by name, but I won't embarrass you, but you fit these qualities too. And it's a privilege to be your pastor and to lead with you because what are we to look for? The letter A qualified and faithful people. Just uh, listen briefly to the description of the kind of people that Paul outlines that he chose and the church approved 
to handle the funds that were coming in as a special love gift to help the poor struggling Christians in Jerusalem. Let me say 2,000 years later, it's just important that you, you give to the need and it's just as important that we have faithful men and women to handle the gifts you give and praise God here at Hope Church. We've been blessed beyond belief. These are the qualities right here in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 to 18, and then just in verse 22. Three people are being described. Thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus to have the same concern I have for you. Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm in his own initiative. He's volunteering for the job. Nothing thrills a pastor more than that. We're sending along with him a brother, person number two, who's praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. And then if we skip down to verse 22, enter person number three. In addition, we're sending with them our brother who's often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. And I just want to submit to you a couple of takeaways about these three people. This is what we know about Titus, person number one. Brother number one, Titus, a fellow helper. He's one of Paul's closest companions. He was deeply trusted. Titus had proven that he was trustworthy, and he, it was seen as one that he had tacked, as you read through many other verses in the Bible, a man of good character, and he had proven administrative ability. Titus was responsible for the fundraising campaign in Corinth, and so Paul asked him to return, to take this very letter by hand and to complete the job he'd started maybe about a year before, collecting of the gifts for the Jerusalem church. Enter brother number two. We don't know who it is. He's not named, but in 2 Kings 8.18, we find out this unnamed person traveled with Titus. Some speculate maybe Barnabas. Could have been John Mark, possibly Dr. Luke, or maybe even Apollos. We don't know, but we do know this about person number two. He's known in Corinth for his work for the gospel. I'm going to speculate like an evangelistic fervor. He's one that strongly championed the gospel work, and he was commended for his enthusiasm supporting the work of the gospel. Example number three, brother number three, the third person, the second unnamed one. In verse 22, to them, we're adding a third one. And he's, he, this one is proven to be diligent in many things. He's zealous. So let me briefly wrap it up this way. I think in Titus we see a pastor's heart who also has administrative ability. In brother number one who's unnamed, we see one who's praised for his zeal for the gospel. He wants to see the work of the gospel spread around the world. And that last brother, possibly a proficient accountant. I just threw that one in as my own thought. Uh, three guidelines in our methods as we give. Let's be biblical. And we have a lot of biblical instruction right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. If you want to do your own homework through the week, meditate on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and nine, because even in the last sermon on giving, the week after Mother's Day, I won't be able to cover it all. 
but we here at Hope Church must be biblical. There's got to be pastoral communication. So from our leaders, our elders, and from the pastor, we give the appeal. We let you know what the need is, and I praise God we're over 90% already collected for the parking lot, and it will be paved in its entirety tomorrow morning if the sun shines. So call the church before you come. What a thrill to say that to you. Nearly 90% funded. But it doesn't take much pastoral appeal to tell you we're 10% to go. Was that clear enough? About 10% to go. We have reserve funds and we will pay the bill. We want a good reputation with the construction company and with our neighbors. But we want to replenish our, our reserve funds and move to the next project. There must be biblical input in how we collect the gifts and how we administer them. Pastoral communication and godly administration. Let me just tell you as I close, we're going to wind into the communion slot. I start naming names, I'll be in big trouble. But did you notice how many people they had uh, collecting the offering? How many people was it? Titus, unnamed brother number one unnamed brother number two. I did a little private consulting with Mike Matur on the phone just a week or two ago, right? You could probably go to two, but collusion is much more difficult with three. That's just the world of accounting. Uh, people that deal with money, handle finances, all you have is your reputation. Isn't that true? Your character. You're selling your character, your integrity. It's what you're selling. What a blessing to have three amazing people at Hope Church right now. I mean, our treasurer served faithfully many times over the years, Brother Hal, Assistant Treasurer Pam, Financial Secretary Cotty. They miss every single service, the first part, collecting the funds together, recording it, getting money deposited. What a blessing to have people of great integrity. Let me tell you, I won't pick on them individually, but they're people who are zealous for the gospel. Isn't that true? You know their hearts. They want to see the gospel spread around the world. They have a pastor's heart. They want to care for the money here, too, and they have great administrative ability. Um, now, in closing, the real spiritual question. What do you think is the most important committee in the church? They're all important, but there's one that's really important. Anyone want to take a guess? Go ahead and holler out your favorite committee. This is the participation time. What do you think is the most important committee in the church? Anybody have a shot at that one? It's too pressure-filled. Nobody? I submit to you, they're all important, but I ask you to pray every year. I ask the board to pray every year for the nominating committee. The nominating committee. And I want to thank the members. There are seven people in this room here today that have been working with me and with Pastor Caleb for a couple of months now. Every week, we're communicating through the week. We've made dozens and dozens and dozens of phone calls. And there are many no's that are very legitimate. Work situations, family situations that people can't serve. But we are so humbled by the no's because they're people that have served in the past and by the yeses, the people that are willing to step forward and serve. As I tell you now, uh, Stephen Eichhorst, our chairman, you can holler out a praise the Lord, right, Stephen? The ballot is complete. And we say it with a lump in our throat and tears in our eyes. It will be posted in another week. We'll be going to a vote in June. I'm overwhelmed, truly, by the people who have a, a zeal to see the gospel work go on here. 
people who have a pastor's heart, people with great administrative ability. Let me tell you, before God is my witness, the faithful people serving now, the faithful people serving in the future are people of great integrity. The gifts you bring sacrificially are being managed by people who love Christ, have a passion to see the work of the Lord go forward, and are truly very gifted. We're going to have a word of prayer now as our deacons come forward. We will be transitioning into our communion service. Both what we give and how the finances are handled here, managed here, is done for God's glory. God is watching. We will all give an account to him both for how we gave and for how they were handled. And the gifts are being administered very well. And all I can say is glory to God. Father, we give you our lives. It's not a very glamorous topic to talk about tithes and offerings, our gifts, yet it's commanded in your word that we bring into the storehouse the gifts that you've commanded us to give. We give you our whole lives back, but we also bring offerings and gifts too. Thank you for the giving of God's people here at Hope Church. We want to give you glory in it. The world is watching, and we want it to further your work. We want the gifts brought here to help this church be healthy and strong for years to come and to send missions, both local, regional, and even missionaries around the world. That's our goal, to make disciples of Jesus, to do relief work, to offer help to hopeless people in Jesus' name. Take our gifts and the administration of those gifts, and may you be pleased. May you be glorified on both ends. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people here at Hope Church. As we transition into communion now, Lord, we simply realize the greatest gift of all, you've already given. It's your son, Jesus. And whatever we give of our life, our talents, the treasure you've blessed us with, our time, we give back to you, the one who's given so much to us. Honor, may we honor you, God, as we remember your sacrifice now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor George Johnson. Thank you for listening today. The hope for Macomb and the entire world is Jesus. We pray that you commit your life to following Jesus. If we can help you in any way, either in coming to receive Jesus for the first time or in taking those important next steps in your walk with Christ, please do not hesitate to contact us. God bless you and keep you close to himself. The Hope for Macomb podcast is a ministry of Hope Community Baptist Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Visit us online at hope, the number four, macomb.com.